Each episode of Keys for SLPs has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com, registered for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. A special coupon code is available for listeners of this podcast. Type the word KEYS for $20 off an audio course subscription. This audio course subscription gives access to all existing and new audio courses from speechtherapypd.com. With more than 200 hours of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it is only $59 per year with the code KEYS. Visit go.speechtherapypd.com slash keys for more information and start earning ASHA CEUs today. Hello, welcome to Keys for SLPs, a weekly audio course and podcast from speechtherapypd.com, exploring keys for speech language pathologists to better serve clients throughout the lifespan. I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines, SLP and certified orofacial myologist experienced in rehab, outpatient, school, and private practice settings. As a curious SLP who embraces lifelong learning, I'm excited to discuss information to help you excel as a professional. Keys for SLPs brings you experts in the field of speech-language pathology, as well as collaborative professionals and caregivers to discuss practical therapy strategies, research, challenges, triumphs, and career opportunities. Engage with a range of practitioners from young innovators to pioneers in the field of speech-language pathology as we discuss a wide variety of topics to help the inspired clinician thrive. Welcome to Keys for SLPs. Before we get started, here are our financial and non-financial disclosures. Mary Beth Hines is the host of the Keys for SLPs podcast and receives compensation from speechtherapypd.com. Dr. Mike Wilson receives compensation for this presentation from speechtherapypd.com. Mike Wilson is the founder and host of Stuttering with Confidence, a peer mentorship and coaching program and podcast. As a reminder, for this live episode to get live CEUs, you must log into your speechtherapypd.com account and complete the entire course content by the end of the day today. And now here's a little bit about our guest today, Dr. Mike Wilson. Mike is a person who stutters, husband, father of four, dentist, and dental entrepreneur. He is a passionate advocate for those who stutter, host of the Stutter with Confidence podcast, and facilitator of an international peer mentorship group to support people who stutter. Mike and his fellow mentors coach peers who stutter to go out and face their fear of speaking and improve their communication skills. Welcome, Mike. We are so happy to have you here today to share your perspective as a person who stutters and information about your peer mentorship and coaching program. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here with you guys. Well, we are just delighted. It has been so fun to get to know you as we've prepared for this podcast. So our pleasure. So Mike, you founded an international peer mentorship program group during COVID, the COVID quarantine in 2020 called Stutter with Confidence. We are going to talk all about that in a few moments. But for our SLPs out there who may be wondering about peer mentorship versus speech therapy, can you explain the difference between a peer mentorship and coaching program versus speech therapy? Yeah, so so the main differences I would say is that first off, I'm very clear with everybody that you know this is not speech therapy, and I'm not a speech therapist. I'm a dentist. 
but it's a group approach and it's really a mentorship approach. And it's, so it's not uh, therapy in the traditional, really in any traditional sense, it's mentorship. So everybody in the program is a person that stutters themselves, myself included. And one of the things about being a person that stutters is it can be very isolating. Mm -hmm. Uh, So many of us, we go through our whole life and we may be the only person that we know in our life, or maybe there's one or two others, but a lot of times nobody's talking about it. So it's really, there's a group effect. It's helping people to face their fears, gain courage, gain confidence through uh, sort of walking in the same uh, shoes that myself and other mentors that have that are graduates of the program have uh, have walked well, in themselves. Well, thank you for clarifying that difference and the walking in your shoes piece and being understood by peers is so important to the Stutter with Confidence program and any challenge really. So we're going to dive into that in a little bit, but I just wanted to define that and clarify that for anyone who was wondering. And before we get into the Stutter with Confidence program, will you share with us a little bit about your journey as a stutterer? I know you started stuttering when you were as as long as you could remember, but you told me that you were around 11 when it impacted your confidence and things changed. So please tell. Right. Uh, Yeah. So up until the age of the sixth grade, I guess I was, I'm either 10 or 11 at that point, you know, from what every, everybody that's older in my family tells me, I always had the stutter from the time I started speaking, but I don't remember having it. I don't remember caring about it. I don't remember it impacting my life um, until I was in the sixth grade and just uh, started liking girls for the first time. And there was another boy who liked the same girl and made fun of me about my stutter in front of the other kids and got a few laughs. And for the first time, you know, there was like that moment of uh, being self-conscious about it. Like, really, there's uh, something different or weird about me. From that point on, uh, I started really trying to to not give the bullies ammunition and that produced a lot of avoidance behaviors and where you know I stopped saying what I wanted to say and pretty quickly within a year or so from what I remember it was hard to get a word out within a year so right within a year from 11 you had you know, 10 or 11, before that point in time, you had just as much confidence as the next kid. And then you were teased in that situation. And within a year, it was hard to get word out. Yeah. Once I really started trying hard not to stutter, it suddenly became very hard to get words out. And there's a famous uh, quote from, uh, from Wendell Johnson, who's one of the bigger names in the history of stuttering that stuttering is what we do when we're trying not to stutter. And while I don't think that sums up everything uh, about stuttering, I think it's an integral part of the struggle for many of us. But yeah, so by the seventh grade, I was mired in avoidance and was struggling big time with my speech. And stuttering sort of took over my life at that point. And it really continued all the way up through the end of high school. 
for example, my uh, freshman year at, in high school, I had to give I had to give a, a speech on Genghis Khan. Okay. And after dreading it from the second I heard, I had to give a presentation for the you know six weeks, whatever it was, just thinking about it all day, every day, waking up and cold sweats in the middle of the night. And mm. for those that are wondering, what's such a big deal about having a stutter for people that have it? It's it's that sense that I'm going to turn myself into a laughing stock. that nobody's going to respect me, nobody's going to listen to me. And there are real experiences for us that make us believe that that's, that that's the case. And so I get up to give the speech on Genghis Khan and I say, Genghis Khan was, and I got stuck on born. And in those days I preferred, or I you know, thought I preferred to just silent block because I hated the sound of stuttering. I hated the boop, 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 you know, the whole sound. And so I would silent block until the word was going to come out right. So I so silent blocking, just to define that, you wouldn't use your vocal cords at all. You you would be silent, struggling, but not using any vocalization. Right, right. Rather than having the sound of, you know, stuttering and the sound of the struggle, you know, and for those that are watching, I can I can show you it was, you know, Genghis Khan was. You had yeah. the facial grimace and you had the struggle, but you were purposely not using your vocal cords. Right, right. Lots of tension. And so after about two minutes of that, I just gave up and sat down in total shame and braced for it to just spread like wildfire around, you know, around the school. This mm, so hard. This weird, this weirdo who, you know, gave a three-word speech and then sat down. And so two months after that, I had another presentation in, in the science class for an invention. And, you know, I was like, man, I got to do something different than the Genghis Khan speech. That didn't work out very well. And so I said, I can say the filler phrase, you know, I knew I could say, you know. And so I was like, all right, if I get in trouble, I'm just going to say, you know, and hopefully it'll break the word free. And and that's all I had, you know, and, and I had gone to lots of speech therapy by that point. And my parents had already spent probably tens of thousands of dollars already on a speech therapist. And but, you know, the best thing I thought, as far as I knew, I had was to say, you know, and so in a, I don't know, 15 minute presentation, I probably said, you know, like 300 times, mm. you know, and this is the, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know you know, you know, you know, the water bottle holder or whatever it was on this, this handy cooler invention that I did for science class. And, you know, again, the kids probably worked so hard on your invention and uh, being scientific minded, it was probably a really good invention. (laughs) Right. It wasn't bad for sure. You know, for a ninth grader anyway. (laughs) Right. And I was, obviously trying to make it as good as I could to try to compensate, make up for the fact that I figured I was going to embarrass myself with explaining it, trying to explain it to people. And so the rest of high school was basically like that. And then I get to senior year of high school. And when neither of my only two friends who I was comfortable speaking with and 
you know, possibly stuttering in front of. Neither of them were on my lunch period. So rather than find another table with other kids that I wasn't comfortable speaking in front of, I chose to bring my lunch into the bathroom stall the whole lunch hour my entire senior year of high school. So I literally hid in the bathroom, uh, you know, uh, smelling other boys' uh, stuff as they came in and used the stalls Uh. next to me. I mean, it was so degrading. But obviously, I was choosing. And and I'll tell you, Mary Beth, you know, from running my own podcast, talking to a lot of folks who stutter probably thousands over the years, there's a lot of stories like this with people that stutter that are just – going to all sorts of lengths. I I heard of one guy, he said he used to, before presentations in high school, he would take a whole bucket full of ice and just chew the ice until he broke his teeth so he wouldn't have to go give the presentation. Oh, my. Um, There's so many horror stories like this. And, you know, this is the sort of the nature. I don't want to say it's always this extreme, but this is not rare at all. And it, Virtually everybody, 99 plus percent of people that stutter, as far as I can tell, and from you know speaking with a lot of experts, for example, on my podcast, 99 plus percent develop some deep shame and embarrassment and feelings of inferiority, borderline self-hatred, you know, why can't I talk? Mm-hmm. That's the foundation of the stuttering experience, which can be very hard. For therapists, you know, who you know, oftentimes has limited experience with folks who stutter, and you know, there's not a person who stutters himself to really um, understand that. So, if there's one thing to take uh, forward, I would say, you know, for people listening, I would say understanding. And Joseph Sheehan, I think, you know, had the best analogy of all time for what stuttering is like, which is the stuttering iceberg analogy. Uh, so the portion of the iceberg that's above the surface, you know, say the 10% is the stuttering that you see. Yes. Right? So that's the actual, you know, clinical, we'll call it, stuttering. But 90% of stuttering is how the person feels about it, right? All that shame, embarrassment, all that stuff. And that stuff is really what destroys lives. It's not the stuttering per se, no. although, you know, the stuttering was the thing in childhood that helped, you know, that shame and embarrassment stuff build up. But it's it's this that's destroying lives. So, you know, as a anybody that's working with those who stutter or even, you know, friends or family, understanding that, that that's an aspect of it and that, you know, that's sort of the foundation of the experience. I don't want to say that that's the cause of the stuttering because I think we now know that it's, you know, genetic with most people, or at least that's a contributing factor, but it's certainly the foundation that that can exacerbate what's above the surface and more importantly, can just take over the person's life where they're running away from speaking. And speaking is what, you know. Which is what you found you were doing as a senior in high school, but then you got to college and you teamed up with a great therapist and a great therapy program, and you were able to get some confidence. Right. So after you know all those high school experiences, I get to college, which is only you know, four months after um, I'm hiding in the bathroom in high school. And Dr. Richard Ham, uh, who ran the uh, communications disorders department at Florida State, spent the entire first 
semester. And when my parents had dropped me off, they stopped by Dr. Ham's office and sort of begged and pleaded with him to, you know, please help their son because they knew how mired in oh, my I shell I imagine. was. It, it is hard to drop any young person at college and dropping someone off with who, who didn't have that confidence uh, must have been really hard on your parents. Yes, but they knew I needed it. And, you know, I had wanted to stay home and go to the local school and only hang out with those couple of friends that I was comfortable with. But they, you know, sort of made the little birdie leave the nest, so to speak. And fly you did. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm very glad they did that. And, you know, when they dropped me off, they stopped by and spoke to Dr. Ham. And so I, I don't know if he took a special interest in me or if he did this for all of his, you know, clients there. But the whole first semester at Florida State, he introduced uh, no technique whatsoever for controlling this daughter. He just had me every session walk around with either himself or the grad grad student and talk to people and look them in the eye, ask them questions and get comfortable, get used to looking people in the eye when I stuttered. And it was probably took maybe 500 individual instances of me going, you know, excuse me, Michael, look him in the eye. Michael, look him in the eye, right? It's such a strong habit not to face that possible negative reaction that you hate so much. Right. And so that had a profound effect. Once I got to the point where I could look people in the eye, I was uh, still stuttering a lot. You know, I think it moderated it a little bit, maybe, although I was saying what I wanted. So I was actually stuttering more because I was saying everything I wanted at that point, which is a good thing, which is one paradigm shift. This idea that we want the person not to stutter at all. For a lot of people to stutter, what that means is, zip. well, this is a way not to stutter. Right. Don't say anything, right? You don't say anything, you're um, not going to stutter. Right, right. So, yeah, so I got to the point, I don't know, well, certainly by the end of that first semester where I was like, holy cow, it's okay if I stutter. You know, I never thought it was ideal or like you know, beautiful or great, but it is okay. And I can still say what I want. And 90 plus percent of people will sit there. And listen and wait for you to finish. But if you're looking away, they might not. Right. You know, they don't know what's going on a lot of times. There's a lot that's communicated with eye contact, right? And when you're looking people in the eye, they'll hang in there. And that was a revelation for me and a revolution in my life, I'll say. Well, you think of any freshman in college, uh, you know, so many things are new and uh, so many revelations. And they, they come back at Christmas feeling enlightened. I can only imagine how you felt coming back at, at the holiday time, feeling like you know, at the end of that semester, you finished your first semester in college and you actually felt like you could speak going from someone as a senior in high school who spent every lunch period in the bathroom. That you know, I just so appreciate you sharing that story with us as therapists. It's so important for us to really understand where you're coming from and, and your perspective. And I know that's not easy to talk about. So I do appreciate that. 
So, and I, we could talk about, Michael and I had a lot of conversations, so we could probably talk about this all night, but we do need to get to those learning objectives. So let's move into, that was the first semester in college, and then you actually chose a profession where you knew you were going to have to speak to people, and you became a dentist. Uh, yes, and there were some moments, for example, when I did the mock dental school interview near the end of college, you know, which is basically a practice interview for when you're going to be interviewing for dental schools, where before we started, uh, one of the professors on that board or, you know, that mock interview team leaned forward, you know, and he knew me from organic chemistry class. And he said, now, Michael, you know, as a dentist, you're going to have to talk to people. And I said, well, thanks for letting me know. Um, Now let's move on with the, uh, with the practice interview. And actually something similar happened after dental school when I was going to start my first practice just as soon as the bank would loan me the money. And I was speaking with one of the attending doctors in the residency, and he said something almost identical to what the guy four years before had said. He's like, Michael, you know, as an owner, you're not just going to have to talk to patients. You're going to have to talk to staff, vendors. There's a lot of talking. And I said, well. Thanks for letting me know. Now, can you please answer those questions? So there's definitely, it's so important to, for folks who stutter to develop this and folks who work with them to, you know, be focused, hopefully on helping them to develop this level of confidence where you're like, look, there's going to be some people in the world that are confused about whether I should be talking or choose a profession where I have to talk, but you can definitely do it. Now, it, you know, it does slow you down a bit. I'm not going to say it doesn't. And what you see now from my speech is, is certainly not what it was for those first uh, four decades. But uh, yes, so I chose to go into dentistry and then chose to go into uh, owning my own practice and growing it and and was fortunate to be able to grow it to five locations with maybe 230 employees or so, about 30 dentists. and. As far as I know, they're all they're all fluent folks, and they're all listening to you. So now it is important to note that that professor, he in his own way, he was trying to help. It's kind of it's good to note that because it just shows how so many people don't know how to interact with people who stutter. Um, they try to help in a lot of ways that may not be helpful, and it's. It's neat to hear that you had the confidence to say that four years after spending your senior year lunch, uh, you know, lunch periods in in the men's restroom, that four years later, you had the confidence to look up at a look a professor in the eye and say, yes, I know I'm going to have to speak now. Let's move on. I got to get ready for this interview. You made so many strides and to learn about your thriving dental practice and, and your, uh, title as a dental entrepreneur is just really so uh, commendable and so such a great example for the people who you are helping. You have demonstrated that you have not let it stop you. So sky's the limit. All right. So speaking of the people who you are helping with your Stutter with Confidence program, can you tell us the goal of this program before we talk about the details? The biggest goal you know, the most important goal of the program is to get people, you know, to help people 
get themselves to the point where if they want to say it or if they would have said it, if they were not a person that stutters, they say it. In other words, getting people to the point where they, you know, say what they want to say and say exactly what they want to say. There's a lot of folks who stutter and it's it, it's all very natural. It's our natural default state that uh, switch words a lot. So people are constantly scanning the horizon of what, which words might be about to trip them up and change in words. So if you're going to say, hey, you know, have a wonderful day, but you think you're going to stutter on the W of wonderful You'll say, have a great day. Now, in that case, it's, it's not a huge deal per se, but a lot of times it is. And we end up saying not what we want to say. We say what we can say, which is, you know, not genuine communication, obviously. I think the whole point of talking. And uh, so, yeah, that getting people to where they will courageously uh, speak up be themselves, say what they want, live the life they want to live. And then, you know, as, as a more secondary goal, and I truly believe if you accomplish the first goal thoroughly, which is what, what I had largely done with, with Dr. Ham back in college, and think of a real iceberg in the ocean, right? Okay. If you're trying to get rid of an iceberg, you know, and I don't know if humans would be capable of getting rid of an iceberg anyway. We might be. But anyway, if you were trying to get rid of a real iceberg in the ocean, if you can remove what's below the surface, the 80 to 90 percent that's below the surface, well, what's above the surface is going to get a lot weaker, a lot more wobbly. So if exactly. we're trying to get at what's above the surface, I think the foundational step is to first get rid of the below the surface stuff. Okay. So let's define, before we talk about the program specifically, will you define the term stutter with confidence? You kind of talked about it a little bit, but when you meet with your mentees for the first time through Zoom, I believe, what, how do you define stutter with confidence? I would say never running away from stuttering moments. That's the most concise way I can say it, I think. Okay, okay you know, otherwise known as saying exactly what we want, you know, stepping forward, looking people in the eye, saying what we want, being who we want to be. Okay. Okay. So you stuttered throughout your entire life and you had the experience in college where you gained that confidence and you went on to have a thriving career and then COVID hit and you probably for the first time in a long time had a little extra time on your hands. Although with four young children at home, you probably did not have a ton of time. So what happened during uh, spring of 2020 that compelled you to start this program? Yeah. So COVID hit um, in March, obviously well, it hit before then, but it stopped the world in March. <laughs> right. and, uh, and, you know, so I'm sitting at home, probably for a month, you know, like the rest of the world and just sort of, you know, extra energy to spend and not sure how to spend that extra time. And, you know, started listening to some of the stuttering podcasts. And um, I was like, yeah, you know, there's conversations I would like to have about uh, stuttering. I think it's a fascinating subject. And so I was like, one day I realized how easy it was to do over Zoom. You can just record your calls. It's not <laughs> the best audio quality in the world, but it's not bad. And 
so I started a podcast. I well, and and everything went online, right? So suddenly there were all these uh, support meetings, which were always in person, right? For the most part, and they all had to go online. So you could suddenly zoom in, you know, and I zoomed into uh, meetings of, you know, the National Stuttering Association, of the British Stammering Association, of the Scottish Stammering Network, you know, of the Indian support groups. And, you know, we're starting to meet a lot of folks who stutter. And I was on a call with Nina G, a comedian who stutters, Nina G, if you may want to look her up. And She's on your podcast, isn't she? Yeah, she was my first guest. Okay. Um, uh, So she was sort of uh, the spark, if you will. You know, I knew that she was uh, sort of a big name in the stuttering world. And I was like, yeah, you know, I've been thinking about doing a podcast. She'd be a perfect first guest. Let me just ask her. You know, so we were Facebook friends. So I sent her a message. She said, yes, we did the first one. And sort of the rest is history. But after maybe, I don't know, four or five, six episodes, Quite a few people started reaching out to me and saying, Mike, you know, I like your perspective on this. I like your story. You know, can you help me sort of make some progress on my journey because I'm frozen in track, you know, frozen in my tracks because of stuttering or, you know, the way I'm reacting to stuttering anyway. And so people started reaching out to me, you know, essentially asking me to you know, peer mentor or to coach them. And, and so I started doing it. And then I was like, well, you know, I'll just uh, start a program, which is based entirely on my journey. Right. You know, as I said, I don't, this, you know, obviously what I know is my journey and what I've learned from talking with other folks who stutter. And there's so many, there's so many commonalities that run between a huge percentage of folks who stutter and and I just knew yeah, how, how important in particular the face and the fears was in my life and that that's what sort of set me free, you know, even though I was uh, still, you know, battling to get words out of my mouth. I wasn't battling myself internally as to whether I was going to do what I wanted in life and say what I wanted. And so I started the first group of trainees. On the Stutter with Confidence program last June, we started, and they graduated that first group in August. Okay. And since then, we've had another uh, four groups with the sixth one uh, about to start in October here. Which is really amazing because we're going to get into the three phases, and the program is pretty intense and very time-consuming for a dentist, a dental entrepreneur, a father of four. So, so let's dive into the three phases of your program. And just to go back on one point, you had um, people reach out and you did start to work with people, mentoring them individually before you started the actual program. So you had like maybe three months of working with people, with mentees before you started your first class, as you call it. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, and not in like a programmatic sort of way, but a lot of, you know, a lot of hours of conversations and just uh, sort of, yeah, just, you know, sharing my story and encouraging, well, telling people what had helped me and, and encouraging people to go out and face their fears. But it's, it's really much, much easier to do as a group. 
with others, right? It's very hard to just talk somebody on the phone one-on-one and say, hey, you know, this is what you need to do. And then for them to take those steps, it's just so much harder to do alone than it is with other people that are on the same journey you're on. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah. So camaraderie speaks volumes. So absolutely. So tell us that 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 camaraderie starts with phase one. So you have three phases and the first phase, you all meet together on Zoom. And what happens? Yeah, the uh, the whole program's over Zoom at this point. You know, we might do some in-person things after the pandemic, but it's so convenient on Zoom. So in phase one, we meet up at first in the whole group. We introduce ourselves and we get to know each other. And, you know, then after like 15 minutes of that, and we're meeting up, people are already out at the, uh, the contact spot. So they're out, you know, in their car, let's say in the parking lot of the mall, or maybe they're out, you know, on the streets, wherever there's people. And we go out, we do what Dr. Ham had done for me, where we just go out and talk to people. And we learn. And by the end of three, the three sessions of phase one, which are two hours each, people can look people in the eye. And, you know, they've built up the courage to talk to people. We just ask them questions, you know, excuse me, what? Where's the Starbucks? Excuse me, where's whatever, the food court, whatever the case may be. And as I tell people in phase one, if anything, I want you stuttering more. Okay. That you have to face it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy for me when we're not stuttering, there's nothing to face. But it's those stuttering moments that we have to get desensitized to. And, you know, and again, learn to instead of look, 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 looking over here, look at people when we stutter and face their reactions. And there's this realization that, wow, people will actually sit there and listen to me. They'll answer my questions. I am free to speak, even if I stutter. It is okay. Again, I'm not going to argue that it's ideal, but it is okay. And people realize that. And so if I may, Mary Beth, I'd like to read you um, a quote uh, from one of the, and we've got a WhatsApp group as we're going through phase one and then another one for the graduates later. But this was during phase one, I think the group before last. Okay. And this was his quote. He said, I never thought that people would hang in there to my stuttering moments, but they did because of eye contact. And even after seeing my physical struggle, they treated me as an equal person. They talked with me like I was one of them, right? And I thought that that says a lot, first of all, about the stuttering mentality that we tend to feel like we're unequal, like Mm -hmm. we're unequal, like we're inferior. And that realization, and another thing we do in phase one is we tell people that we stutter. So we say, excuse me, uh, uh, and, and I'll use some of my deliberate or intentional disfluency here, which, which is a part of the technique, which we'll talk about in phase two. But so, so you go up to people and say, eh, excuse me, uh, uh, I have a stutter and I'm out today walking around talking to people to get, get over, to face the f- fear and nervousness 
of talking to people. So, and at that point, you can either say, it doesn't have to be long, thanks for listening. Or you can say, do you know anybody that stutters? And roughly half of people will say, yeah, you know, I know some, you know, my cousin or was a guy I knew in high school or whatever the case may be. But we're practicing what I like to call radical honesty. Okay. And this not trying, this actively stopping this trying to hide our stutter, which is a central part of the experience for so many of us. We're trying so hard to hide it that you're almost immobilized to to live your life or to say what you want. So we're doing the opposite of hiding. We are just putting it out there, radical honesty. And we realize people either just don't care, like, oh, okay, that's great. You know, have a good day at the worst case. Or, you know, a lot of people are like, well, that's pretty cool. You're out. I, I like it. You know, like, good for you. Oh, that's You're great. actually, like, very supportive, right? And, of course, you know, one second before you walked up to them, they're a stranger. So they didn't even know you were alive, you know, and all of a sudden they're supporting you. And you just realize, wow, you know, the world is actually, if I put it out there with confidence and with openness and I sort of step out of the closet, so -hmm. to speak, people will accept me. And that's just a shock to our experience where, where we tend to think, you know, and and I don't want to say it's everybody, you know, you never want to universalize anything, but we tend to think that what, uh, Kevin said on the playground when I was 11 is what the whole world thinks. Well, as it turns out, the bully in middle school is not what the whole world thinks, right? Exactly. Um, and it's it's a real realization for people, an eye-opener. And you are, um, most of the people in the program, they're either teenagers or adults. Most Mostly they're adults, right? You, you don't take anyone under 14. I keep right. saying program, but it's not really a program. What word do you want to use instead of program? You know, I don't know what's better than program. I think it, you know, it describe. you know, it's a group of people that are working together to do something. So, you know, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I, I call it a program. So it's okay. 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 Great. Great. I, I just want to be respectful of your lingo and use what you want me to use. So, okay. So, but most, most are at least 14. Most are adults. They've prior to the first meeting, they have not really practiced radical honesty. Yes, I would say it's, yes, it's, it's very rare that I get to uh, someone that has, that has done much of this in the past. This is new for most people that, that come on the program. And how about the Um, deliberate study, the deliberate stuttering? Have many of them tried that? Yeah, maybe. Well, we don't do that in phase one. You know, okay. there's no technique, no, okay, no altering of anything in phase one. Um, but, but to answer your question, I'd say maybe ten percent of people have, uh, you know, have learned uh, some version of what's oftentimes called voluntary uh, stuttering in the speech therapy world. You know, and the idea behind. This it, it, that's another form, as far as I'm concerned, of radical honesty, where you're putting the stutter out there, but on your terms and with some control rather than, you know, having the out of control stuttering. So you're doing the opposite, the polar opposite of trying so hard not to stutter. Right. You're deliberately mm-hmm. putting it out there. So it's can be some pretty powerful reverse psychology. 
Exactly. Okay. So that's a good segue to phase two. So just to clarify, uh, phase one, you meet three times, two hours at a time. And by the end of those six hours, most people in the program feel confident enough to look people in the eye, stutter, and communicate whatever messages they want to communicate. And that, that is pretty amazing. Well, we also encourage everybody in the WhatsApp group in between the sessions to share stories during their real life during that time when they felt the urge not to say something, let's say at work or at school, but they you know raised their hand anyway and they said it. And uh, so we're really, really encouraging each other to face those fears. And, to, you know, the goal, again, is to is not to not stutter. It's to say what you want, to speak up, to rather than running away from. I like to think of this as a sport mm-hmm. rather than running away from our opponent. Analogy. Right. And, and if you're playing a sport, then you have an opponent. So I like to name my opponents. So I like to call it the stuttering wolf. Rather than running away from the wolf, we step into the arena and we say what we want. And again, what we learn in phase one is worst case scenario, I stutter. And then guess what happens? You know, I I eventually finish the sentence or finish the point. And then the world keeps spinning. You know, the sun comes up tomorrow. It's really not the end of the world. There's no reason to, to feel horrible or feel down. Just because I stuttered. I'm a person that stutters. I'm supposed to stutter. <laughs> it would be weird if I never stuttered, right? That's not a failure. That's not bizarre for a person that stutters to stutter. But it is miserable to continuously or, you know, or even with, well, it, it feels bad when you, ha- when you have something that you know is good and it should be shared and that you would say that you don't say, right? You feel cut off. From your species, essentially, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, that's that's what sort of defines us as human beings. Right. I mean, we we are fundamentally social creatures and to feel like you can never fully connect with so many people in your life because you like you can't say you don't say what you want. I mean, yes. So it's that's what phase one is all about. Uh, so then you were getting to phase two. So, so can we just um, clarify that WhatsApp group. So there were there during phase one, you meet the three times, two hours at a time, but you have what might be even more important than those actual meetings is you set up that WhatsApp group between the participants and the mentors. And anyone can get on the group at any time and uh, see if anyone else is available to talk and talk. That starts in phase one, right? And do you want to clarify my understanding. Uh, so the practice, so certainly anybody is, you know, free to talk with anybody that they want to in phase one, but the WhatsApp groups are used as a practice tool more after phase two okay. um, in terms of talking with each other. And in phase one, we're mainly just using the WhatsApp group. Well, one for communication, you know, so I can communicate the details to everybody you know, as far as timing and all that kind of stuff. Okay, logistics. But another thing that I'm encouraging people to do is to post stories on in the WhatsApp group about how they 
face their fear or, you know, their experience or, hey, I was talking to my boss yesterday and I was trying to make eye contact. It was a little bit, you know, just share honestly what their experiences are with uh, starting to face their fears. And we do that only after they've done a session of phase one. So they've already had this sort of courage building exercise. And I would say in phase one, certainly the most important thing is the actual sessions of going out and, and, you know, because you can tell the person that stutters all day long, that eh, the world doesn't care that much. It's okay to stutter, but they have to know it. They have to experience it themselves. You know, they have, they have to, to face, yeah, they got to feel it. They got to see other people's reactions. They got to realize, wait a second, it is okay to stutter. You know? It is okay. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. And sorry, I had the details a little bit off, but okay. So now we go into phase two. So what happens in phase two? Yeah. So phase two is, um, is an intensive and uh, phase two certainly builds on the, I don't really like to make this distinction so clearly, but it explains what I'm talking about. Phase two really builds on the psychological side of things that we were focusing on in phase one as far as facing the fears and all that, the desensitization, I don't know if I've used that word yet, desensitizing to the various little initial reactions that you get from people. Because when you first start stuttering, you know, no matter how, you know, tolerant somebody is, all, all that good stuff, they still oftentimes have an initial moment where they're like, like, what's happening? They're just trying to figure out what's going on. Because most people have never encountered a person to stutter that'll just sort of stutter openly in front of them. They've oftentimes never seen that. Well, and I would say the understanding is complicated by the fact that every speaker has some disfluencies. So most people, when they see a disfluency in somebody else, they think they know what they're seeing. It's a fluent, it's a non-stuttering person having a, you know, disfluent moment. And it sometimes will mean something, you know, they're confused, they're whatever, just stumbling over the word or they're sometimes not being truthful. You know, there's various reasons why non-stuttering people might stutter, which you see in movies and shows where they use uh, stuttering or stammering sometimes to convey that the character's a little confused or, you know, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So people are oftentimes confused. And that's another powerful thing about eye contact. They figure, people figure out faster, oh, He's still with me. I guess he's got a speech impediment, right? They figure it out after those initial, you know, whatever, one, two, three seconds. Figure it out. Okay. Let me just be patient and wait for him to finish. So phase two, there is more. I mean, there's always more of that. You know, it's okay to stutter. We're not inferior just because we were born to stutter, you know, any more than anybody else is inferior because, you know, Something's a little bit different about them, but there's also how I, empowering for people. I it makes me so sad that people would feel that way to begin with, but to be able to move beyond that and feel so empowered, um, and for you to be part of that is is really exciting. It is exciting, and it's a lot of fun seeing people emerge out of that basically prison to where they're like. Oh. And live my life. So another uh, thing that we do in phase two is, and 
there's a deep breathing approach, which I learned, which was helpful for me with my own speech. Again, this whole program, this whole peer mentorship program is based on uh, my journey. And not that I expect everybody to progress at the same rate or in exactly the same way. You know, obviously individuals mm-hmm. are different, of course, but the structure of the program is based on my journey. And uh, so in phase two, I coach people, teach people the techniques that I use. And a part of that is deep breathing um, and breathing. So one of the powerful things, one of the most important things about breathing, which is extends far beyond the stuttering for anybody, you know, and modern medicine has finally been catching up to this fact, it seems in the last like 10 or 20 years, what traditions like meditation and yoga have known, I think for thousands of years, thousands, that breathing yeah. somehow is connected to our mind, to our mm. consciousness, to our, for example, level of relaxation, our ability to regulate our emotions. Even things apparently like ability to control pain, you know, like, I don't think it's a coincidence that they teach pregnant women the Lamaze technique, which is deep breathing, right? I really don't think, you know, there's a lot of connections there. And regulating ourselves as a person that stutters, regulating the emotions, regulating the body, that's all, you know. I mean, I, I don't think you can make a distinction between the mind and the body. I think it all swims in the same soup. Just like in sports, right? Just like in sports, ostensibly sports is only physical, right? Yeah. You're shooting the ball, you're you know, throwing the ball, whatever the case may be. But we all know, I mean, for anybody that's ever played sports, you know, if if you step on the field or the court, afraid of making a mistake, really worried, oh, what happens if I screw up? Well, then your your physical potential just can't shine through. Right, um, right. So the deep We've breathing all seen is in people at the free throw line, even it gets in their head. Yeah. 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 And I think Mary Beth, now on that note, I've noticed in recent years in the NBA, for example, almost everybody when they're shooting a free throw, and I assume they've now, they're now training people on this. When they shoot a free throw, you'll see them go, then they'll shoot the free throw which I didn't used to see in like the eighties and nineties. I don't remember seeing that very much. Well, you'll have to ask your brother about that, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he has a brother who's a college coach. coach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'll ask my nephew about that. Okay. Well, as I said, we could talk all day. I wish this was longer and I do hope you will be coming back for um, a webinar. So we just have a few minutes and I know we want to get into some question and answers. So One key thing, you said it was intense, but can you tell everyone how intense that phase two is? So how how many hours and and what is the structure of phase two? Yeah, so uh, phase two is three days in a row. So it's a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So people can minimize their time off of work or school. And it's 11 hours each day. So it's 33 hours squeezed into three days. And... Again, it's all over Zoom, you know, so it is a lot of time on Zoom, but but it's also a lot of fun. And it's definitely very intense. You know, we learn the deep breathing. We learn a lot of things about just good communication. We learn to project our voice. We learn to pause and formulate. And pausing is a very important part of effective communication. Show me one great leader in history who's not a good 
or is not effective at pausing. Mm -hmm. uh, show me one great actor or actress who's not effective at pausing. It's a powerful communication tool. And so that's another thing that we work on. And we do all that. And then near the end of phase two, we take it back out into the malls, onto the streets, and we bring the technique and the new skills back out. And people, after having gone through phase one, they're not, not scared one bit of doing that for the fourth time. So it's, it's fun to see uh, people really mount the revolution against the stuttering wolf, so to speak. But I'm always very clear with people, very clear with them always, that this is not a cure. This is like staying in shape physically for the long run. There's no pill you can take. There's no weekend crash course or month-long crash course that you, you know, exercise crash course that you can do that guarantees you'll be in shape a month from now, six months from now, five years from now. You know, this is the sort of thing that you keep in shape. You know, you have to do, and, and that's what we do over phase three. You mentioned we call each other and we practice. We're in Skype groups together. So you ring that, it calls everybody. So we use each other and none of us are cured. So we all still need to practice, you know, so we use each other and it's like practice on demand, essentially, not just practice, but support. As we talked about, stuttering can be very isolated. So it's great to have people that stutter, that are on the same journey as you on demand. And because we're international, there's always uh, somebody awake. So the sun never sets on the stuttering confidence program. Uh, that, I've been waiting to use that line. So. Yeah, that's a good line. The sun never sets. Uh, uh, it's always shining on that iceberg and melting it down, right? Which is your logo, by the way. I do like that um, logo. Okay, so I wanted to go through. We talked about some of the different methods that you use. So purposeful contacts, practicing eye contact, practicing non-avoidance in daily life, speaking up even when you know you stutter learning to pause and formulate, learning to project the voice, deep breathing, deliberate fluency, radical honesty, and uh, the support network. So I think we've covered those. I wish we had like another half hour because we have so much more to cover, but you did include links to the resources in, in the resource handout um, so people could take a look at that. Well, and those are great sources, I think, for people that work with those who stutter not only as measuring tools, but just reading through that, you, you know, it's a good way to focus the mind on what kind of things uh, are affecting people below the surface of the iceberg. Well, that is great. So we have um, a couple minutes being HIPAA compliant, of course, you've shared your own success story. Can you describe a success story, just like just just a minute or so of someone in your program who came in with very little confidence and is now flying with confidence? Uh, yes. So it's uh, somewhat hard to choose a favorite one, but one young lady who, who lives in California is a teacher. And uh, she, for example, uh, said you know, like every Wednesday at their meeting, you know, the when the teachers meet on um, every Wednesday, she said, you know, she'd wake up in a cold sweat every morning, wow. would oftentimes uh, throw up that morning. And now she wakes up with, you know, a spring in her step and, and, and really enjoys those meetings now. And she actually, you know, says as much as anybody 
in those meetings. And she described a moment in particular after a couple sessions of phase one. And, you know, like most teachers at that time would have been last or this past January, she was teaching on Zoom. And uh, she had a moment where, you know, she was having a stuttering block. And normally, you know, she would have looked away in shame, but she realized she was looking away. She started to have the block. So she looked back up and her whole class of fourth graders, you know, they weren't laughing. They weren't pointing fingers. They were just sitting there waiting for her to finish. And she said she had a moment that was like, they don't care. You know? And, uh, oh, that's great. But several people on the program, at least, seven or eight that I can think of off the top of my head have gotten uh, new jobs since they joined the program. You know, they're going for those jobs. Well, one of the things I encourage people to do, you know, if you want a better, you know, if you don't have a job and you want one or you want a better job, well, doing interviews is a perfect way to practice, perfect way to sit, you know, face your fears because, you know, nowhere are you being judged more perhaps than on a job interview, right? It's by definition, it's by a definition, judgment. Yes. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I know you said we only had two minutes. So, well, <laughs> well, thank you. As you said, we could talk what all is, day. What I love about the story about the teacher is this is someone who's been in that same situation time and time again. She's a teacher. She teaches children. She's done her student teaching, and then she's been a student. She's been a teacher teaching students, and she never had had that revelation before that moment. So. That is a really neat story. Well, speaking of teachers and teaching, we have a question from our audience. How can you use this method with young children? So, so first off, I would refer people to Courtney Bird, well, to her work. And one of my podcast episodes is with her. Uh, Stutter with Confidence also is the name of the podcast. Uh, for those who want to check it out, well, Courtney is very, pat, you know, and I'll say, as I mentioned, that I haven't worked with young kids, you know, so I don't want to say that I'm speaking from experience on this, but I will relay what Courtney said, because I think that's, you know, that's the best thing I can share here. So she works, she's at UT Austin. Okay. And actually, the side note, they just got a $20 million grant from the Arthur Blank Foundation. So just so exciting. Yeah, super exciting. And so Courtney's whole perspective on this is, look, and, you know, this is what you said on the podcast, and in, in her opinion, there's no clear evidence that teaching, say, four-year-olds, uh, some technique or approach to control their stutter is actually increasing the percentage of kids that will outgrow their stutter which four out of five kids, even with no intervention whatsoever, apparently that are stuttering when they're four, will just sort of spontaneously recover and outgrow it. But according to Courtney, we're not increasing that number by teaching kids to control their stutter when they're, you know, when they're little. So her whole approach is basically prevent the iceberg from forming. So okay. train kids up on how to not be ashamed of it. And she tells a story which will which will wrap this up in a very clear way um, of a little girl that she had worked with, like a five or six-year-old little girl who 
you know, um, ironically, or maybe she told me this story because I'm a <laughs> dentist, but, but the five or six year old was at the dentist and the dentist, you know, walked in the room and asked her her name and she stuttered on her name. And the dentist said something that many of us at stutter have heard many times. What did you forget your name? And for that little girl, if she hadn't that, you know, like when I got that question for the first time, I was like a deer in headlights. Like, oh, no, I didn't forget my, you know, like just feeling taken aback and mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. But the little girl that had worked with Courtney said to the dentist, oh, no, I'm, you know, I have a stutter. That's what you're hearing. And sometimes it might take a little longer for the words to come out. But, you know, just be patient and the words will come out. And, you know, Dennis, I'm sure, you know, so ordinarily, maybe the little kid would feel like this big, like a loser, right? But in this case, probably the dentist would feel like that big, right? Like, oh, I shouldn't have said that, you know? Um, um, but that, that what a teachable, what a teaching moment that little uh, five-year-old girl had. That is, that is a great story. I love that. Yeah. And you did include uh, Courtney, Dr. Courtney Bird um, in your resources. Um, so for those of you who are listening or watching on speechtherapypd.com, that is in the handout. For those of you who are listening on a podcast at a future date, um, she is at the UT, at UT Austin, right? I cannot thank you enough. I have so enjoyed getting to know you and getting to know about uh, stuttering with confidence. And um, I am really excited to see where this program is going to go. And I wish we could talk for longer. I just want to say thank you. My pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. And I think there's a, well, I think the 21st century is, well, the rest of the 21st century is going to be an interesting one. And, you know, I think there's a lot of a lot of potential for helping a lot of people get beyond the shame and embarrassment. Uh, and I, you know, I appreciate you, uh, you sort of publicizing this in that way. Well, thank you. And thank you for sharing your journey and your honesty. It really takes a lot for us as humans to be vulnerable and share a story like that. So your perspective is so important to us as therapists and so important to people who stutter. So thank you so much for your honesty. And thank you, everyone who is listening. And um, as a reminder for this live episode, to get live CEUs, you must log into your speech therapy pd.com account by the end of the day today to com- and complete the entire course content. I, I hope you'll join us again. Sounds good to me. All right. Thank you. Have a great Bye-bye. night. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us here at Keys for SLPs, providing keys to open new doors to better serve our clients throughout the lifespan. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs for this episode and all podcasts offered by speechtherapypd.com. Until next time, I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines. Keep up the good work.